This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're on, what floor are we on? We are, gosh, on the top 20. floor. Yeah, the, top floor. The top there floor we go. in downtown Denver with Martin Lanik. He's the CEO of Pinsight and the author of the just-released book, The Leader Habit. And that was released last week. Correct, yes. It just came out last week. And I had the good fortune of getting a copy before it was released and finished reading it here midweek. Wonderful. So, Martin, thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast. Yes, happy to be here. Thank you, Bob. Well, Martin, if you would, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. So, I run a software company called Pinsight, and we focus on leadership development and leadership assessment. So, we work with organizations to help them hire better leaders and then to promote better leaders to identify the right high potentials that they should invest in to develop them and prepare them for executive positions and then, of course, work with those high potentials as we are developing them. You know, it's, you know, folks are going, and I'm prior military, so the leadership model was pretty understood and taught and so on. What took you down the path of working on leadership and developing solutions and applications to help? So I have a background in industrial organizational psychology. Actually, I have a PhD here from Fort Collins from Colorado State University. And I started very early on in my career focusing on leadership and leadership assessment and then development. Then I worked as a consultant out of Pittsburgh and London, working with global organizations, helping them with their leadership strategy. And then when the recession hit, I identified an opportunity. I thought, well, there's an opportunity here in the market where you can take all the really good parts of general leadership programs and then streamline them so they become much more cost-effective and scalable globally. That's how I founded Pinsight. I think about the folks that are listening and, and they're going, okay, there's a number of leadership programs of one description or another. And for you, in fact, if you would, might I borrow your book? And so for the folks who can take a look at the video, this is what the book looks like. So that's quite cool. So I thought I would do that. So when the folks that are listening, you're just going to have to imagine a book. Yes. But it's really module-based inside the book, where you can go through, try to do some work and pick topics and work your way through. What led you, basically, to the thought process to start chunking it, for lack of a better term? Hmm. I think you're absolutely correct. So there's so many different models of leadership, and there's so many different solutions out in the market. So what makes our process different is the realization that your traditional classroom-based leadership development just doesn't work. And this was actually why I decided to write the book. So several years ago, I came across an article in the Journal of Consulting Psychology that suggested or actually showed that American corporations year over year end up spending more and more money on leadership development to the point that it was about $14 billion in 2012. But our general confidence in leadership is actually decreasing. So there's a negative relationship. We end up spending more on leadership development, but we're less confident in our leaders. So then I started thinking, well, why is this happening? Why aren't we producing better leaders despite all this investment? 
And what I realized is that majority of leadership development programs really focus on knowledge. So they focus on different theoretical models of what good leadership should look like, or maybe personal experience of some wonderful leaders. But that does not translate to behavior change. So I started looking at the research and behavior change, and more specifically habits. So how do people develop habits? How do they adopt and internalize behaviors to a point that they are automatic. They do them without thinking. For example, like making your bed in the morning or brushing your teeth, right? You just do that automatically. You don't even think about it. And that's the whole point behind my new book, The Leader Habit, that you practice these effective leadership behaviors that we found through our research, and you practice them to the point that they are your second nature. You just do them automatically. You don't even think about them. And so for folks, let's head down sort of an illustration. So let's say that I'm a big picture leader, but I'm a horrible detail leader. Mm -hmm. And everybody goes, you know, you're really good at vision and whatnot. Right. But you fall off the cliff on the detail execution. Mm -hmm. Inside the book, you went through some exercise there. Could you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. So the first point I would say is you need to be much more specific. So what does it mean from a behavioral standpoint when you say that you're not a detailed person? So what is it that you're actually not doing that you should be doing? An example that comes to my mind is, for instance, with delegation. The way you're delegating may not be the way effective and successful leaders delegate. We can then pinpoint a very specific behaviors. For instance, we found through our research of about 800 leaders around the world that what effective delegation looks like. So effective leaders, when they delegate, they, for instance, match the project to the skill. So this could be an example of why somebody might describe you as not detail-oriented because you just throw projects and tasks at people without thinking about does the employee have the right set of skills to be successful with this project. And then the, there's a series of exercises that you do on a repetitive basis that you talk about. Yes, and that's exactly how you internalize it. So think about how do we learn new behaviors? How do we learn to play tennis or football or play a musical instrument? We practice on a daily basis. So if we go with that example of delegation, for instance, you could build an exercise where five minutes a day, when you delegate or when you make the decision to delegate, you write down you know, what are the most important, the two most important skills that are necessary to complete this project. And then you rate the employee you're thinking to delegate in a project to on where they are, maybe on a scale 1 to 10, on those two skills. And this, if you practice this for 66 days, you internalize it. So after about two months, you'll notice that you're automatically, the minute you think, oh, I should delegate this project to Tom over here, you start thinking automatically, what are the skills that are needed to complete this project, and is Tom ready to do that? You know, for the folks, as an aside, that are listening and go, he's not from Alabama. No, <laughs> Texas, actually. <laughs> he's not from Texas either. <laughs> so you were an exchange student, yes? Yes, so I was born in Slovakia. Back then it was actually Czechoslovakia. And then I came, I was actually a student in high school, and I ended up in California. And it was one of those things where, you know, I finished high school, graduated, and then I figured I'm having a really good time here, you know, I was a teenager. 
and living in Northern California, so I'm going to just try a year of college, see how that goes, and then another year of college, and then graduate school, and next thing you know, it's been 18 years. You liked it. <laughs> I did, yeah. And, you know, and, and for the folks that are listening, and, and they go, well, 66 days, well, why not 72 or 58 or some other number? That's what the research shows. So the popular belief that you might probably heard about is 21 days, right? That's how long it takes to build a new habit. But when you actually look at where that estimate is coming from, it's coming from a claim that a medical doctor made in the 1960s, and he said that it takes a minimum of 21 days for people to get used to change from plastic surgery. It's very interesting how this became the popular belief that it takes 21 days to build a new habit. But when you actually look at the research literature, it takes on average 66 days for people to internalize a new behavior to a point where it becomes automatic and they don't even think about it. Well, that would explain why the people says 30 days is all it takes. They do it for 30 days and it doesn't stick. Yes. And that would explain exactly. that very well. Yes. And so for a company, let's say that there's a company and they're listening to this and go, you know, we want to do some leadership development in our company. What should they expect if they reach out to you or they go to Pinsight? And Pinsight is P-I-N-S-I-G-H-T, correct? Correct, yeah. It stands for People Insight. People Insight. Yes. Just combine those two words and there that's how we arrived at Pinsight. All right. So what should they expect if they were going to do some leadership development using the tools that you bring to bear? Sure. So we always start with an understanding of the company strategy. Any leadership behaviors or any change in leadership behaviors really needs to support the strategy of the business. So we ask executives generally, what are the two to three most important strategic initiatives for you? Are you trying to grow revenue? Are you trying to increase customer satisfaction? Are you trying to increase the engagement of employees? You know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? And then from there, we translate that into leadership behaviors. So we have research that tells us if you are looking to increase operational efficiency, it takes this type of leader and this set of skills. If you're trying to grow revenue or build new product services, it takes this type of leader and these set of skills. And then we run critical leaders through an assessment. So we place them actually in a simulation. And this actually grew out of the military, mm -hmm. this approach. So we place them in a simulation for half a day. And then we observe what skills, what habits they already have. What makes these simulations different, so it's not just watching videos, you're interacting with live actors. So you are really placed in this fictitious company. We think of it as a Harvard Business School case study come to life with these live role plays. So you might have an angry customer calling you, an underperforming employee calling you that you need to coach, and maybe you need to do a presentation for your board. So it's very much real life. And that's the key behind these assessments because it's not just a questionnaire or survey that you fill out. We are actually testing you and testing your skills in a very realistic scenario. And that helps us understand what are the leader's strengths and what are their development needs. And then our software develops or designs a very specific development plan for each leader based on this assessment so that you're closing the gaps that are necessary for them to achieve your business strategy. 
We have an app that is based on the Leader Habit book, and that app gives you daily exercises that you practice. And as you're practicing these exercises, it actually tracks your progress. So it works like a Fitbit. You know, so maybe you started at about 50% when you took the simulation assessment, but now you've been practicing for two, three weeks, and you see that you have actually improved by 10, 15%. For the companies that engage Pinsight, mm-hmm. initially, what's the tipping point for them to take and engage Pinsight? Generally, are it's changes, big changes in the business. So it could be a new CEO coming on board and needing to understand, do I have the leadership team to help me take the company where I want to take this? So in other words, do I have the right people on the bus, right? Mm-hmm. That's... Mm-hmm one of the key questions we get. Then an organization realizing that most of their executives are retiring in the next two to three years. That's another big trigger. Or general fed up with or disappointment with the leadership programs that they have in place and they want to try something different. You know, maybe their leadership programs are feeling stale, they're looking to refresh them, and that would be another trigger when they generally come to us. So if you're coming into, let's say it's an organization-wide need, then the assessment that you mentioned where there's role-playing, is role-playing necessarily brought in, or can it be driven by the, the software that you have? It's all driven by a software. So we have a software application that delivers all of this online. So um, nobody travels anywhere. They take the assessments, even with the live role plays from their home and office. We bring the role players through webcam to them. Oh, web- okay. Yeah. So, so the role players are used to playing difficult customers. Oh, right? yes. Yeah, that's all they do. <laughs> <laughs> that's their job is to be a difficult customer, right? <laughs> and we're good at it. <laughs> yes, yes. I think about the company and the, and the folks that are listening, and you're looking for practical transformation. Yes. Not just, oh, everybody read the book. Yes. What are you getting on feedback after these companies are going through this process? Uh, We actually do research and longitudinal research, so we track the leaders over time. And what we find that, first of all, the assessments tend to be about 250% more accurate than job interviews than managers do. Which makes sense when you think about all the biases that we have as people mm-hmm. when we're interviewing people, when we're deciding you know, who should be the successor or who should be promoted. And then from the development standpoint, most people tend to improve their skills in about two months. So you see that there's a visible behavior change that happens in about two months' time. So I'm a company CEO and I'm listening to the podcast. And you go, you know what? I'm interested. So what's the process for the CEO? And then does the CEO get a compiled report? So what's that process like? Yes. As far as the buying process, so generally we would do a demo and then, you know, we would identify the needs, scope out the project, and then it moves from there. And from an implementation standpoint, the analytics is really one of the most valuable things. So... The most unique and exciting part about our software for me is that I can see very objectively on a dashboard the skill set of every single leader in my organization. But better yet, 
I can see how much they are improving on a daily basis. So I have access to real-time data or of the skill set of people on my bus. So you can tell whether they're playing or not. Yeah, yeah. And who's serious about their development. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm thinking about the software and I'm thinking about the CEO as they're doing review. Let's say the organization has progressed through. Mm -hmm. and everybody's moving up to speed. What's the biggest behavioral change that you see from the CEO now that he has this database at hand? I wouldn't necessarily say behavioral change, but it is more of a comfort. So more of an ability to make better decisions and better decisions around the people side of the business. So you know as a CEO what are your key objectives and what you need to achieve. And the thing that really keeps most executives up at night, I found, is just having the right people to do it. Because you know that you cannot do it on your own. You need, especially in large organizations, right? Mm -hmm. You need fellow leaders and executives to help you achieve those goals. So. It's the ability to have the right set of analytics, the right set of data to make informed decisions around having the right people in the right places to help you achieve what you need to achieve. Is there a common weakness in organizations, or have you seen just distributed weakness here, there, now? Incidentally, what I usually found when I do succession planning projects and when we do this around the world is that oftentimes when you put a group of leaders through an assessment, you found that the ones who have been picked as the official successors are usually the ones who are the farthest away from being ready. And there tends to be these diamonds, uh, diamonds in the rough that the company has been overlooking, but this process helps them identify those people that are really better fit and require small investment and can be ready sooner. Are you finding that's driving behavioral shift in succession planning? It's driving conversations uh -huh. and it's driving re-evaluation of the succession plans, yes. So they are really looking critically um, at why have we selected these people and what are the biases <laughs> that came into this. What are the internal politics? And they appreciate the much more objective, unbiased way to make these decisions. How long has your company been around? So I founded the company about eight years ago. Okay. And then the software came before the book, true? Yes. Yes. So the several first versions, I should say, sure. several previous versions came before the book. It is last year that we released the new platform of our software that also now includes a whole development solution. So previously, before then, we were focused on the assessment side. But clients were often asking, well, we love the data, we can make the right decisions, but what do we do now with these people? If there's a prototypical size of a client, whether it's employee or revenue, is there a prototypical client that serves best? Yeah, so we usually work with organizations that have at least $100 million in annual revenue and up. So some of our bigger clients include AIG and CenturyLink, but we also work with some mid-sized organizations. Your company, when I was looking into it before the show, you have employees everywhere. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and your clients are also international, correct? Yes. So you're in Europe 
some regular basis. Yes, I was last year almost every other month. And Do you find the acceptance rate or the different overseas than domestically? Not necessarily. We work with organizations all around the world, and that is really the benefit of having a virtual company and running a virtual solution, an online solution. We found, for instance, you know, with one client, a new CEO came on board, and very quickly they needed to assess 300 executives around the world so that the CEO could understand what kind of skill set was on his executive team. With the previous kind of brick and mortar assessments, that wouldn't have been possible. But with a software solution, you can scale it very easily. But also another exciting part for me is that you can streamline the process and be much more efficient if you play with time zones. You know, so previously when I worked as a consultant, you know, it took us about two weeks to get the results of an assessment back to the organization, to the CEO. Now it's a 24-hour turnaround. You know, I think that would play so much in to be able to decide instead of waiting to decide. I guess there's also the drawback is uh, you don't have time to perk on it a whole lot when the data comes back. Yes, but when you are, especially in hiring situations, you don't have, if you find the right candidate, you want to move. You don't want to sit around and wait. If you're a small organization, handful of employees, you're the CEO of a defective but small organization, would this be appropriate for the CEO trying to take and broaden his skill set or her skill set? Yes, absolutely. So we have worked with some nonprofits, small businesses as well, and usually they are of course, smaller-scale projects that focus much more on development. Mm-hmm. I think to shift gears here a little bit, now this is the, the point where I say quiz you to death, which just sounds depressing or immortal, doesn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, so for you, you know, with your book coming out, what would be another book that you read or maybe most influential book that's altered your perception on being a CEO? Yes, well, there are, of course, the classics come to mind, like Jim Collins' Good to Great. You know, I very much like the books by Heath Brothers, like Made to Stick. I think that was their first one. And then Switch, as a psychologist, that was one of the probably most influential books that I have read in the past, you know, 10 years. So I would say those three, probably. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, as a psychologist and consultant in the business of helping businesses manage and lead better. How has that affected you because you're assessing and teaching? That's a very good question. I founded this company straight out of graduate school. So it has been quite a journey of just learning how to be a leader and how to run a business myself. Different than academia. (laughs) Yes, very much so. So I previously was a professor in psychology and in the business school as well. I can tell that it really helped me writing about these models and talking about this research in leadership. I think you develop this special awareness where I wonder if it's almost detrimental, but you tend to analyze everything about what you're doing. <laughs> you know, you analyze, well, you know, what did I say? What did I do? And is that part of the effective leadership library that we identified or not? You know, where could I improve? So you constantly think about this and <laughs> it can be, you know. <laughs> Doc, please fix yourself. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Looking back over your career in forming the company, what failure or perhaps at the time apparent failure has served you or your company best and set you up for the achievement that you have now and why? I will answer this question differently. So I'll answer it from the, it wasn't necessarily failure. It's more of a false expectation. Okay. So I think when most entrepreneurs start their business, there's this great excitement about how wonderful their idea is and they expect overnight success. So we read about these stories of the garage startups, right, that are multi-billion dollar companies in just five years. Just and, add water. Yeah, just exactly, add water. exactly. So as I reflect, and that's one of the things I've been thinking about lately quite a bit, is it doesn't really work like that. You know, you don't read about the 10 years of sweat and, you know, late nights and disappointments. And that missed were, flights. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that happened until the general public or somebody start noticing this business. Your overnight success. Exactly. Yes. That's when it becomes an overnight success. But you don't hear about the 10 years that went into it. So that's one of the things that's been on my mind. And I think it's the lesson that I'm starting to internalize right now. Thinking about that. You have the veteran of today, mm -hmm. all right? If that veteran of today could come back and talk to that rookie that was you starting your business, what advice would you offer to that rookie to cut a year or two off the journey? Is there any advice you'd offer? Yeah, funny enough, so this is one of the advice that I give to our clients as well, and that is don't focus or don't obsess on the results the outcomes. When I realized this, this is a story from my friend Rob, who is a big basketball fanatic, and he told me about Coach Don Nelson. I don't know if you're into basketball, but anyway, Coach Nelson was really loved by his players because he would never tell them, just go out and win. What he would tell them is, focus on the behaviors we've been practicing, and if you do them really well, good things will happen. So I think that is what I would tell myself of, you know, eight years ago. And that's what I keep telling myself even today. And that's what I keep telling our clients is don't get discouraged. Don't get obsessed by the outcome, by the end result. Focus on the journey. Focus on doing the right behaviors. Because if you do them and you do them well, that's when success will happen. I think there's a couple of coaches down in the Southeastern Conference football world that talk about every player does their part really, really well, and then right. the rest works well. Yes, yes. So, but it's about it. behaviors, right? At the end of the day, that is what we can control. You cannot control the economy. You cannot control market shifts, but you can control your daily behavior. That's what you should focus well, on. Well, you know, I think about that in, you know, in the innovation space. And so if you're controlling your behavior and you know you're in an industry where there's an enormous amount of innovation, so you could be innovated out of your market niche, mm -hmm. then as a behavior, what would you recommend a company do that's in one of those kind of climates where they could be taken out by the latest development? There are several extra behaviors and innovation that we discovered in our research over the years. And one example would be celebrate experimentation so don't shut down ideas but get in the habit of celebrating them so if somebody proposes the idea 
new idea, different idea, even though your first reaction might be, well, let's just stick with what we have done, because we know it works, learn to celebrate it. Because that's how innovation is going to happen. You have to start accepting new ideas. You have to experiment with those new ideas. Otherwise, there is no innovation. And you have to budget for them. Yes. Yeah. But that comes later. Let's just get in the habit mm -hmm. of not shooting any ideas down, but really celebrating them. If you could take and put an ad on page one of the local paper, either here or in Europe, <laughs> sharing your company message or advice, what would it say and why? I would say invest in the people, invest in making them better leaders, because at the end of the day, that is what can make or break your business. What struck me about that is, so let's say I'm the CEO of the organization, and, and we've gone through the process, and everybody knows where they stand, and then they start making this journey. What do you notice in the behavior of the participants in the company? So, of course, there's the behavioral change themselves. So if the person is not good, for instance, in motivating employees or coaching their employees, you see behavior change in that regard. But I think more exciting for me is to see that people learn a new way how to develop their own skills. So there's a mind shift from I'm waiting for HR to send me to a course and then I sit through a course and then miraculously come out a better leader or I read a book and then now I have better skills in coaching or influencing. So it's a shift, it's a realization that any success comes from hard work and it comes from daily practice and it comes from focus, laser focus on particular things that we need to improve. And this process and the leader habit is very intuitive. We do this in sports, we do this in musical education, all around. But we don't seem to do that in leadership education. Thinking about the businesses out there and the average person, where do you think the average person, non-military, gets leadership training from? So the research shows that about 30% tends to be genetic. So some people are more lucky than others okay. in that regard, so 30%, but that still leaves 70%. It's life experiences. So when you think of habits as essentially ingrained automatic behaviors, we pick them up unconsciously Do you think they mimic? Day. Do you think they mimic previous employers? They mimic, well, they start right early on, they start with mimicking their parents, their teachers, key mentors their managers as well. So. so they could pick up bad habits as well as good habits. Yes, exactly. It's an ongoing conversation that I have with many, and whether it's you know quality employee pool to hire mm -hmm. from, or you look and we just have a challenge with the, the leadership profile of what we have in the organization, and then it kind of the conversation stops. You kind of go, well, we're not really exactly sure how to promote and improve and train in some measurable, meaningful way. Right, yes. We don't think generally of leadership as a set of behaviors. We still tend to think of leadership as something magical that just George happens. Patton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think it's going back to that myth of overnight success. I think we have that in leadership as well, and that's a problem. As long as we subscribe to that philosophy, we're not going to see behavioral change because success 
in business or in leadership doesn't happen overnight. It actually takes hard work, experiences. Well, that's learning. like the, the good public speaker. People assume, oh, they were born a public speaker. Rarely is a public speaker just born as a public speaker. Formal training, high-speed coaching. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you an interesting story that was I mean, very related, a kind of a, a shock for me. So I very much enjoy all the TED, TEDx videos. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about being a speaker and submitting a speech for one of those. So I got in touch with a person who was running one of the TEDx events. And we had a brief phone conversation just to understand the process. And I was absolutely shocked when he told me that they spent about nine months rehearsing the presentation with a coach. And at first it was a, you know, I felt cheated because when I was watching these videos without knowing anything, I thought, well, these people are just walking on the stage. They're absolutely brilliant. I'm fascinated by what they have to say. And then when I heard that, Actually, no, there was really hard work, nine months of really hard work that went into preparing that 15-minute presentation. But what I found fascinating was my first reaction of that feeling, you know, well, this is cheating. Well, it's not cheating. It's hard work. And when you put in the hard work, the results are really positive. My story is in the military, I had to brief a lot. Mm -hmm. And growing up in the South, speaking slow, accent, and my first boss had me rehearse. Larry Snyder, thank you very much if you're listening. <laughs> uh, had me rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And it was just like for days to do the pitches properly on briefing military stuff. Yes. And you got to the point where it was by road. It almost didn't matter what happened. Yeah. You knew where you were. And so, yeah, it yeah. affected the output. You know, for you in the company... What is the best allocation of either time or initiative that's helped you or your company most and why? I will answer that from my personal perspective. I think this is what any small business owner, a CEO, founder of a small business struggles with, and, and it's the operations versus strategy. That tension has been, I think, is always there. So you have the daily issues and problems that come up and employees that need support and clients that need support but then you also have to set the vision for the organization you have to be clear on the strategy the direction that you want to take it and that's one of the things that i have been working on on a daily basis how do you really reconcile the shift and how do you dedicate time when you are focused on the strategy and the direction of the business. Now, I've had this conversation with many, the version between in the business versus on the business. Exactly. Uh, yes. Who came up with the term, you know, all It's very, yeah, I haven't heard that, but that's a very good way to describe it, absolutely. You, you know, you think about it, and so day to day, you know, there's this and that, and the meeting and the scheduling mm -hmm. and the employees and all that other stuff, and you go, and then you go, I've got to shift gears, put on my strategic hat and go, okay, now, where do I want the business to be and what's legacy? And, and I think about the on-the-business struggle, talking about a whole, that's book two. <laughs> you know, on it or in it. That, line, yeah, yeah. that would actually be a very good title for it. You know, and you think about the course differential. There's a CEO I know in, in downtown Denver. He said that was probably one of the bigger shifts for him a number of years ago. As we said, I went from billing to being on the business, he said, 70% of my time now is spent on it instead of in it. Yeah. And it's been a watershed moment for them. 
And, of course, maybe that has to do with delegation to some of you can trust so you can be on it instead of in it. Well, of course, I'm going to look at it from the perspective of leadership skills. So you need to be able to have comfort in the operations and you have to have the right people there, and you have to be able to delegate to them really well. It's interesting, years ago, when in the military I was working for some senior officers, and there was the command process, and you'd have all of the G-staff level guys at the division come up, and they would have plans A, B, C, and D, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the commanding general would go, okay, I'd like part of A and part of C. And that would allow him to step back from the minutia planning and go bigger picture what he could do, and so that's really formalized mm-hmm. in that environment. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very good strategy to mitigate risk as well, right? mm-hmm. having all those different plans. As long as you surround yourself with people that don't say yes. Yes. But you also need time to prepare those plans, right? That's when the vision and the strategy comes again, mm-hmm. is you need to be able to separate yourself out from operations to dedicate time to creating Plan A, B, And if you don't have the time, you've got to be able to train to react and have good muscle yes. memory. Yes, Oh, yeah. You know, for you, if I was to ask somebody, says, what's your most unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you or your company most? Oh, this is a tough question. Well, I'll tell you what people generally tell you about me, and that is not giving up. So I don't know if it's where that came from or, you know, we might call it even resilience. And I'm thinking about what does that actually look like from a behavioral perspective, right? (laughs) (laughs) And let me analyze myself. (laughs) Yes, there we go. Here we go again. Yes, but just that ability not to get discouraged Mm -hmm. when things are not going the way you want them to go and then be able to change your thinking, look at it from a different perspective, and keep going, I think is one of the habits that really helps with my business. So you know that, what is it, about 85% of new businesses fail in their first three years, and I completely understand why, living through that. (laughs) You have a notion of, I'm going to get to work for my own business and work for myself. And I'll be in control. And you go, I don't know what I was thinking, because that is not true. And I think about so many of the business folks, they're just tenacious to a fault. You know, I've heard it said, I'm too damn stupid to quit. You know, put your hat on backwards and go, okay, what's good about this? There's been many books written about pivot and fail fast, which I'm kind of going on about that. But, you know, so there's all of those things. But your previous comment where your advice to your younger self, you know, it's the process. Yeah, yeah, it's the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, you know, as with anything in life, there is no arrival point. There is no ta-da moment when Mm -hmm. you say, oh, I'm here. No, it's it's always a journey, and there's always something else around the court. Over the past few years, what belief or protocol have you established in your company that has most impacted you or your company's success? Focus. That is... I think if there is one thing that's behind our our success, it's laser focus and not get distracted. So here we are. We're in a big company meeting by teleconference because they're everywhere. And go, all right, guys, we're going to focus, right? Okay, sure, fine. What does that look like? How do you communicate focus? Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. First. What I mean by focus is that being very clear on what is our core business, what is it that we're doing, and what is it that is 
we are not doing. And it seems simple, and you hear a lot about this, and there are, again, a lot of books about that. But to internalize and to really start thinking about this on a daily basis and asking yourself, with every decision, is this part of our core business or not? And being able to say no when it's not or finding ways how to outsource it, move it out of the business so that it's not really convoluting your operation. Not everybody's your client. Exactly. Not everybody's your client. Not every leadership methodology is our solution. Not every person that we like is going to be an employee. Get the, yeah, you oh, get yeah. the idea. So that's why I have one more, and this comes from the Lean Startup, I might mm-hmm. be familiar, mm-hmm. Eric Ries, that really spoke to me as a scientist. So the whole notion of looking at every single thing in the business as a hypothesis that needs data collection, needs evaluation before you move on to the next one. And then when I combine these two philosophies, so you have that focus, you have the hypothesis, so you need to have a very focused hypothesis in order to evaluate it. And prove and disprove, prove and disprove. Exactly, but the smaller you keep it, Mm -hmm. the quicker, the smaller each hypothesis, the, the quicker you can prove it or disprove it. Which is back to your data collection from Pinsight. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Congruent, right? Yes. What advice would you offer to a new CEO that's assuming the role of CEO for the first time and why? First CEO, I would say just get a very clear understanding of the landscape, get a very clear understanding of the people, because you cannot get anything done in the business if you don't have the right people on board and if they don't have the right skill sets. Probably, again, something that we hear over and over, but the people really are the most important part of the business. Let's dig into that a little bit. So let's say you just got put into the role of CEO of a large company, Mm -hmm. and you're aware of Pinsight. Mm -hmm. And you go, I have this tool. So I arrived here. I said, before I do anything, I'd like to have the whole organization go through this process. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that happen, or would you recommend it? Not the entire organization, but definitely the top executive team and then mid-level leaders. So that's where the biggest impact usually is. If you don't have a solid executive team, then you cannot have a solid strategy because that's their job. And if you don't have a really good mid-level leadership team, then you cannot take whatever strategy you create and translate it into operational reality because you don't have the people that can take the strategy and make it happen. So for a new CEO, this might not be a bad toolbox. I would recommend it. Not that you're biased. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. What are the most common misconceptions about you or your role as CEO? Misconceptions. You mean from the perspective of employees? or? Yeah, I think so. You know, People say, well, you're the CEO, therefore... Yes, you're the CEO, therefore you should be involved in everything or aware of, of everything. That's one of the common ones. And then um, you know, I'm sure as many listeners can relate to you, get sucked into all these different detailed problems that <laughs> you pretend to be interested in. <laughs> but <laughs> That's another book. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's another habit. Yeah. Um, So I think that would be one that you need to know about everything or you need to be informed about Mm -hmm. everything. But I think that's also a habit of the CEO is just being able to 
say, kind of, this is how much information I need, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you can run with the rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Looking back over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to and why? There are definitely several clients and accounts over the years that I look back and say we shouldn't have taken that business. And usually, now I can see those signs, but usually it's projects where there's not really buy-in. It's not really driven from the C-suite as projects that are largely driven by HR or organizational development. And if we're not working for the C-suite and for operations, the projects are generally not successful. I've heard that many times. I think it's with anything, you know. Yes, we Leadership's got to get behind it. Well, because it's about leadership. Who sets the tone for leadership? Mm -hmm. The CEO. Yeah. In the day-to-day -day operation of your company as CEO, what is your personal habit or self-talk dialogue that keeps you and the company focused? So it's asking questions, right? Back to, is this core business, mm -hmm. is it not part of our core business? And then having clarity on that. So I would say that's one that I do repeatedly. And I do that not only to myself, but also in all the meetings. So, um, you know, when I meet, for instance, with the head of R&D, and we talk about the platform and what's new on the horizon, I always bring the question in. Is it part of our core business or not? And then I think the other role is really acting as a coach and mentor and helping people get comfortable and help them to grow mm -hmm. in the company. It goes back to the operations side, right? And if my leadership team is successful and has the right set of skills, that frees me up to focus on other things like the strategy and vision that I need The big to picture. <laughs> the big picture, yeah. I didn't ask. For folks that want to find you on social media or reach out to you, how do they do that? Yes, yeah, so I have a profile on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So those would be the two best media. And last, Probably LinkedIn. The last name is L-A-N-I-K. The last name is L-A-N-I-K, correct, okay. yes. Is there a quote that you find meaningful or that you use frequently? There's one that is very popular at Amazon and... I'm thinking so that I don't mess it up. It says, in God we trust, but everybody else needs to bring data. Is that how it goes? Yeah, I don't know, but this that's yeah. yeah. So that, I think, speaks very much to my background as a scientist. And I think it's just really good decision-making. You know, Hypothesis we don't, and proof. Exactly. We don't mm -hmm. make business decisions based on I think, you think. Mm -hmm. No. We collect data, and based on that, we decide. And to get toward the tail end now that I've worn you out, if colleagues were asked what you're best at, what would they say and how do you utilize this particular strength on a day-to-day -day basis? I would say asking questions. So that would be one of my best strengths, perhaps. So being able to ask the right questions to quickly get at the root cause of problems and it has helped not only in decision-making and problem-solving, but also in helping people to grow, right? So very quickly being able to identify, you know, what are the strengths of different employees in the organization, different people, and then asking the right questions to help them think through the problems that they are trying to solve. So that ability to define a problem and identify its root cause, I think, would be... Would Back be to the scientist. 
Exactly. Well, Martin, <laughs> no, I, I think we just gave a full circle <laughs> we did, we of where did. we started. Martin, I can't tell you how much I appreciate taking time. I, I tell you guys, if every day in Colorado looked like today, for those who can't see it, we have about a 270-degree view on this building. I can see Pikes Peak to the south. I can see the front range. It's all snow-capped. We have a bluebird sky. There isn't a cloud anywhere. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful, beautiful day. place to be. And... For those out there in the leadership space and are looking for some tools to try to take in and teach and move leadership through their organization, I would recommend The Leader Habit. It's worth the time to read, and I would take a look at Pinsight if you're trying to do some assessment and train your folks. So, Martin, thanks again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.